Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate the great issues of the destiny of man, as described by Jesus' good news or gospel of the kingdom of God. We've been seeing that Jesus presents the kingdom of God as a great feast or banquet in the future. It's a banquet to be introduced by the glorious return of Jesus to establish his throne in Jerusalem and to rule with his saints for a thousand years and from then on into the ages of the ages. But we've been considering the other aspect of our destiny, and that is what happens to us immediately at death. Does a man have an immortal soul? Is there a vital spark within us that goes on living consciously and surviving when our body dies? We have no hesitation in saying that the Bible constantly describes death as a state of unconscious sleep. We are pointing out that Job uttered these famous words, If a man die, he said, will he live again? He did not say, I want you to notice, if a man dies, will he go on living? No, if a man dies, will he live again? In other words, will he come back from death into life? And if so, when? Job went on to say in Job 14:14, 14, 14, All the days of my appointed time I will wait until my change comes. Now, Job knew, of course, that death would catch up with him finally, as it does for all of us, but he pictured himself as waiting in the grave until that great moment of change came. If I wait, the grave will be my house, Job said in Job 17, verse 13. Now, how did Job picture this condition of death while he waited for the resurrection? Job said this, So man lies down and does not rise again until the heavens be no more. They will not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. And so wakening from the sleep of death is the language of Job in regard to the state of man in death. You'll find that in Job 14, verse 12. Job pictures death as a dreamless sleep, and every other Bible writer pictures it just like that. Jesus himself could not have made himself clearer. He spoke of the death of Lazarus as sleep. Lazarus, my friend, is sleeping, he said. You'll find those precious verses in John chapter 11, verses 11 and 14. Now, what then is the solution to the state of man in death? How does he awake from sleep? When does that happen? How can man attain to immortality in the future kingdom? The answer is very simple. It's all summed up in that great word, resurrection from the dead. It is not just dead bodies that arise. It's dead people that arise in the resurrection. It's not as though they've been separated into two parts of death, with a soul or spirit going on existing consciously, and the body dead in the grave. No, it's people who sleep. Many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground, we read in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, many of those who are sleeping in that dust of the ground will awake some to the life of the age to come. You see, death is simply a condition of sleeping and sleeping in the dust of the ground. You can explain this to children most easily. Read them the verse in Daniel 12, verse 2. Many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will awake, some to the life of the age to come. And you say to the child, What are they doing? And they will answer, 
sleeping. And where are they doing it? In the dust of the ground. These words are written for our instruction and our comfort. But that doesn't sound as though they've disappeared to heaven as disembodied souls. No, this was an alien idea added to the Christian faith in post-biblical times. It was actually a pagan notion injected into the faith most unfairly from the second century onwards. But even in the second century, spokesmen for the Christian church objected to the idea that souls go to heaven when they die. Justin Martyr, a Christian spokesman around 150 AD, says, If you meet people who say that when they die their souls go to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. You see, that statement comes from a time when people objected strongly to the pagan idea that souls disappear to heaven at death. But later on that pagan idea overwhelmed the truth, it became popular, it became cherished, and people began to imagine that it was really found in the Bible, and they searched out one or two verses here and there and gave them a meaning which contradicted the broad sweep of the scriptural information, namely that death is like a continuous sleep pending the resurrection. So we may ask the question, how much conscious thought goes on during this waiting period of deep sleep, the deep sleep of death? The answer is none. The Bible's teachings are absolutely unmistakable on this question. Let me read to you from Psalm 146, verse 4, which provides the plainest information about what happens when we die. I read this, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead do not know anything. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, you will find that statement in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6. So the Bible states that a man who has died knows nothing about the subsequent activities of his children. We read this in Job 14, verse 21. Speaking of a dead man, Job says, His sons come to honor, and he knows nothing about this. His sons are brought down, but he understands nothing of that. Job 14, verse 21. And yet despite these very clear teachings from Scripture itself, this is not what many believe and teach in Christendom today. The simple fact is that the faith underwent a certain paganization in the second century onwards. Strange ideas about the immortal soul came in from Neoplatonism, from paganism in fact. But in the Bible only God has immortality, you read that in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16. We do not innately have immortality. It's a gift that must be conferred upon us in the resurrection. Now, before that time, certainly we can obtain a down payment of that great amount of spirit that we're going to receive in the resurrection. We can obtain, if you like, the germ of immortality by believing in the message of the kingdom of God the seed which is the word of God to be implanted in our hearts as the gospel. But we cannot attain immortality fully until the resurrection. We must put on immortality at the time of the resurrection to occur when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom on the earth. I must tell you that this whole scheme is really very simple. But understanding it depends on giving up the cherished notion of the departure of the immortal soul at death to realms beyond the sky. 
to the great cabin in the sky, as I heard somebody say recently. The problem is that we have focused on the moment of the individual's death to the exclusion, almost, of the much greater and fundamentally important moment of the future arrival of Jesus in glory to set up his kingdom. Listen to the excellent words of this distinguished scholar from England, J.T. Robinson, who said recently, The whole of our teaching and our hymns have assumed that you go to heaven, or of course hell, when you die. This proposition is in clear contradiction with what the Bible says. The Bible nowhere says that we go to heaven when we die, nor does it ever describe death in terms of going to heaven. Wesley's words, and he quotes here, bid Jordan's narrow stream divide and bring us safe to heaven, have no biblical basis whatever. End of quotation from a Cambridge Bible scholar who wrote this in the 1960s. And he's absolutely right. The moment of death has received a vast exaggeration in our thinking. But it's merely a tradition, and it tends to obscure the great truths of the future resurrection when Jesus returns to carry out his messianic office as the appointed king of the world, destined to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Now, the scholar I just quoted has this to say also. The whole of our Western tradition, he says, has contrived to give death an altogether inflated significance. There has been a vastly exaggerated focus on death and the moment of death. Now, the same scholar goes on to say that a remarkable change began when the pages of the New Testament were hardly dry, and it's one of the most remarkable silent revolutions in the history of Christian thought. End of quotation. Little does the church-going public realize that its cherished emphasis on departing to heaven or hell at death does not originate in the Christian scriptures. Now, the effect of putting people in heaven or hell immediately at death, prior to the judgment, prior to the resurrection, is to confuse the whole issue of our destiny terribly. You see, it makes no sense at all to sentence a man to death or to hellfire or punishment prior to the judgment. And the judgment everywhere in Scripture is placed at the coming of Christ in the future. What sense does it make that God would sentence to punishment people that he has not yet judged? We must wait until the second coming of Christ for the judgment to occur. And that fact is stated on page after page of our New Testament. It is when the Son of Man comes in glory, then he will issue rewards and punishments. That is established clearly by the gospel as it was first preached by John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and subsequently preached by Jesus throughout his ministry. The plain fact of the scriptures is this, that the goal and objective to which Christians are striving is not heaven as a place removed from this earth, but the kingdom of God to be established by Jesus when he returns. Paul said this with absolute clarity in three passages of Scripture. Let me read one of them to you now. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul said this, and I quote, Don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
no idolaters, no adulterers, no male prostitutes, no homosexual offenders, no thieves, no the greedy, no drunkards, no slanderers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So those forms of lifestyle, if not repented of, if not broken away from, if not given up, if not discontinued, will prevent entrance into the kingdom of God, which is the Christian objective. Now, I'm sure you noticed as I read that verse that Paul did not say that those categories of behavior will prevent you from going to heaven. That's not the language of Paul, and that's not the language of Jesus. The Christian objective is always, in the words of Jesus and Paul, to inherit the kingdom of God, and that kingdom of God will be on this earth. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, they're going to inherit the earth. Take that text as the basis of your hope. Take that text as the substance of the great goal to which you're being called by Jesus in the gospel of the kingdom. This will clarify the Bible for you in a beautiful way. It will bring to light passages you've never seen before. It will remove the fog which may have fallen over our understanding when we introduce alien notions of souls going to heaven at death. That's not the way the Bible speaks about our future. It speaks always of inheriting the kingdom of God at the return of Jesus. And inheriting it, I might add, in company with all the faithful of all the ages. We have a booklet on the state of the dead which we'd ask you to request from us. Use the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.